The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. And welcome to Paper Cuts. It's the podcast all about books. I'm one of your hosts, Karen Das, and I'm joined by Gina Todd and Louisa Cossa. Oh my god, that was so stressful. <laughs> still on Zoom, guys. We're still on Zoom. We're still on Zoom. So, as always, you can contact us and follow us on Twitter and Insta. We are at papercutspod, and you can email us at papercutspod at gmail.com. Today, we have the usual book news, book reviews, not books, and what we've got on our TBR piles. So, we're going to launch straight into some book news. The Ockham New Zealand Book Awards results, of course, have been. Um, announced after the online ceremony um, a couple of weeks ago and we just wanted to say congratulations to all the winning and shortlisted authors and especially to Becky Manawatu for her sweep of best first fiction and the Jan Medlicott Acorn Fiction Prize for her book Awe which um, we've documented pretty well on the podcast. Jenna and I have both um, reviewed it and talked about it everywhere and Lou you've read it now haven't you? Yes, and my review is five stars. I absolutely fucking loved it. It was yeah. so good. <laughs> so and it's been the top-selling book in New Zealand, uh, top-selling fiction book since the win, which has been wonderful in the Nielsen book charts. So so fantastic. And so, yeah, congratulations to Becky and Mercado Press and all the other um, winners too for their categories. It's really fantastic. Uh Another thing that's been online is the Auckland Writers' Festival 2020 Winter Online Series. Um, What have there been? Three um, episodes so far. It's every Sunday at 9 o'clock in the morning. And Paula Morris um, is a good old stalwart and interviewing three authors every session um, that were going to attend at the Writers' Festival, which of course has been cancelled. But also some other... um, writers have been involved as well which is really great because um, a couple of weeks ago they had Robert McFarlane who's one of my favourite um, natural history nature writers and he doesn't um, usually travel and attend festivals so it was a real coup to have him I think. He was a charmer. He was such a charmer just so um, so warm and eloquent but you can go back and watch the ones that you've missed um, on the festival's YouTube page and Facebook channels and on their website so tune in. They've got about eight more to go is that right Jenna? 
I think so, yeah. Yeah. I've really enjoyed it. The first two, yeah. I was really gung-ho and like, got up, <laughs> nine o'clock in the morning, had coffee, but now I'm sort of watching it later in the day yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as I make event. Sunday dinner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, that, yeah. Um, that first one, the first one at nine o'clock, I'd actually got up at, I think, 6.30 that morning to watch a live concert that was being streamed um, around the world, and so I'd been up since sort of 6.30, so that day I did a rock concert and a festival all from the comfort of my sofa. <laughs> all by 10am. Yeah, all by 10am. I was wiped out after that. <laughs> hey, but time doesn't matter when you're in deep quarantine, so... That's you know. true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and moving on to Word Christchurch. Lou, do you want to fill us in? Yes, I'll be your correspondent for Word Christchurch. Um, hopefully in real life, but... <laughs> Um, so they are now, they have moved the, um, festival and it's now going to be October 30 to the 1st of November. Um, they are actually a charitable trust and they are seeking donations. So we're going to put the link for that. If you want to donate and support them, um, we'll put that in the pod notes and in more festival news, we've got, um, Verb Wellington has been confirmed for the 6th to 8th of November, so, um, and Lit Crawl will be on the 7th of November, so November's going to be a very exciting month in the, in the realm of book festivals, and hopefully we'll, some of us will get to some of those, um, yeah, and then soon, oh, and I'll, I'll just quickly mention, um, this article on stuff which is called The Price of Literature, Writers' Take on Government Over Fair Pay by Kelly Dinette. Um, this is all about how much authors struggle to actually make a living from their writing, even the most, um, you know, prolific and adored, you know, Morris G. They all, you know, they can get up to like 20 grand a year. I know we've talked about this before, so I won't carry on. But I did want to quote Dame Fiona Kidman, who said, this proposition that writers just do their work for love is a scurrilous attack on the integrity of all authors, which is just like so cool. Beow, beow, beow. Air horn for, <laughs> for Dame Fiona. She rocks. Um, and then I think we've got another article that maybe Jenna would like to speak to. Yeah, this was by Eleanor Androy in The Guardian, and she spoke to New Zealand booksellers about the boom of book sales um, in indie bookstores around getting into level two and how busy they've been. So I was a part of this article as well, and it has, I must say, like been fucking mad. It's been so busy, but also she was um she this this article was so positive, and and she didn't really take any of the like worrying thoughts about this. this sustaining the the sales over time but um I think it's really good to have um really positive book news and positive news post-covid and yeah it's just a reminder to um get out to your local bookstore and your local favorite places and give them some dosh if you've got it if you know um or or save your pennies for that time that you're going to need something because everybody needs each other but it's been great it's so um it's been so can i i'll just say quickly it's been so cool seeing what people have put on order over that time because it's like they're directing it rather than us having having the new release table so um it's it's really interesting seeing what people are coming up with and what the trends are of what people are ordering um yeah it's cool and can i say one more thing 
if your bookstore if you've ordered a <laughs> if you've ordered a book from your bookstore and it's taking longer than usual please be patient yeah people have been pretty good eh they've been so yeah. patient they're just yeah. so happy to be able to set foot back in the bookshop and and see us <laughs> yes that's really really sweet it's so sweet but yeah everything's on boats rather than planes so we're just a bit bit behind at the moment just to think you know we're Back to living like it was in 1970s live-in or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just hopefully just for a while. <laughs> oh, that's all our book news. Nice and, nice and brief. <laughs> so shall we go on to book reviews, guys? Yeah. Do it. Yeah. Um, should I go first? Yes, and yours is a surprise because okay. you're oh. the Google Docs blank, but that's cool. She's <laughs> calling you out, Karen. <laughs> I completely I forgot. I completely forgot. Okay, so I've got this book here, which is called A Terrible Country by Keith Gesson. And it's published by one of my favourites, um, Fitzcarraldo Editions. Jenna, I think you would love this book. Um, I think it's kind of... The kind of book that people who like to drive your plough over the bones of the dead by Olga Tokachuk would really like. Um, it's so great. It was published in 2018 and Elif Batchman, who wrote The Idiot, says that Keith Gesson is one of her favourite writers. George Saunders has raved about this book. Um, Gesson did an MFA taught by George Saunders. And um, Mel Zink has a rave at the beginning and she says of it um, I would not hesitate to recommend this novel to a busy person who otherwise refuses to touch fiction the only uh, only up to minute topical relevant and necessary novel of 2018 that never has to mention Trump so <laughs> this book is so 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 great um, his sister is Masha Gessen you know, Masha Gesson, who is the amazing um, journalist, the New Yorker. <laughs> Blank stares um, all yeah. around. Oh my gosh, I can't believe you guys sometimes. <laughs> She's an incredible journalist, writes for the New Yorker. She's written amazing best-selling books about Putin. And um, like Masha... Keith is highly critical of Putin and Trump and I guess you can kind of see how Russia and America run in parallel political realms. Anyway, Keith Gesson is a journalist, writer and translator. I think he was heavily involved in the Occupy Wall Street movement. But anyway, A Terrible Country, this novel, is about a failing academic named Andre. He's just split up with his girlfriend and he moves from New York to Moscow to look after his ageing grandmother, Siva. She's about to turn 90 and she has accelerating dementia. He hasn't seen her in over a decade. I think it's set in 2008. Um, Gesson himself actually left the Soviet Union in 1981 when he was six with his parents and siblings and he actually went back to Russia to stay with his grandmother during the period which this book is set. So he's kind of mining his own experience here. Um, so Andre's brother coerces him to look after his grandmother. He really doesn't want to do it. Um, Andre reluctantly agrees because he's sort of got an ulterior motive. He thinks once he's there, he'll be able to find a job. 
and then hopefully hopefully fire up his academic career in Russian history and literature by interviewing his grandmother and mining her life story about surviving Stalinist Russia and hostile capitalism so he can write an academic article that will lead on to a job. But it doesn't go to plan because she has dementia. She doesn't actually remember anything. <laughs> and she's actually quite deaf. <laughs> so he's just super frustrated the whole time. And um, But while his academic career is declining, he's sort of started playing hockey and that's kind of ramping up so he thinks oh maybe I can find some mutual hockey buddies while I'm while I'm over there too and meanwhile his brother is conspiring to sell the grandmother's apartment and she lives in this apartment in the center of Moscow um, in the city and she calls it her Stalin apartment because Joseph Stalin awarded it to her in the late 1940s so Siva is such a great character. She's sort of cranky and pessimistic and funny. Um, she's so crack up. And it's just such a crack up novel, I found. It's really absurdist and comic, but it's also really intellectually sharp and biting and also very critical, but then also really warm and empathetic. It's just sort of got everything. It's really well pitched. And Andre is such a good character. He's kind of goofy and droll. And the novel's so entertaining and episodic. There are these great comic scenes, especially between the two of them. Um, <laughs> it's kind of misty and with a kind of misguided nostalgia as well, I think. Um, kind of like the old world and like returning somewhere. And I love the atmosphere of it. And it's kind of told in this first person kind of monologue narration, like he's addressing the audience. And um, so it's really engaging and easy to read. And he's such a good narrator. It's got really droll humor. I mean, you can see it in the title, A Terrible Country. <laughs> it sounds really good. And then the, it sounds um, so good. Even the chapter titles have crack up titles too. I get sick. <laughs> My grandmother falls down the stairs. <laughs> um, and it weaves in all this stuff about Russian um, history and politics, which of course has such a rich backstory and there's really astute commentary about capitalism run amok and Putin. And um, he meets some socialist activists while he's there. It's such an excellent book. And of course, Fitzcarraldo Editions has my stamp of approval, such a marker of quality. I think um, people will really love this book. Oh, that sounds great. So it has, um, it was published in 2008, so 18. it's a few years old. Oh, no, 18. 2018. Yeah, yeah. Oh, 2018. Yeah, but yeah. it's set in 2008, gotcha, gotcha. I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've been actually meaning to read this for a couple of years, and I just sort of finally got around to it. So, yeah. Aww. Thank you, lockdown. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Karen. Yeah, thanks, Karen. Can I borrow your copy, please? Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks. Shall I go next? Mm -hmm. Yes, next? and I guess this review is in dedication to Holly, who's a dedicated listener in Shanghai, and she was saying how books take so long to get to her. <laughs> it might be our life soon, but um, uh, so she would like some flashback favourites um, from us in reviews, which is quite good if we're running out of time to review some something. Else. <laughs> yeah. I actually think she's probably read this book, though, Lou. I think that she actually has, but oh well. We want to hear your take. We want to hear your take on it, though. 
Yeah, I mean, a lot of people will have read this, but it is my one of my all-time favourites, and I could talk about it with my head cut off um, because I've read it so many times, and it's one of the few books that I still reread. Um, drum roll, please. It is The Secret History by Donna Tart. Um, yeah. So th- Yay! Um, so we've got some fans in the house, I think. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. It's so good. Um, so here is my extremely battered copy. Um, it's a popular Penguin edition. Um, this book was dropped in a bath by a co-worker, and I told him I told him it was okay. I'll tell you later who it was. I told him it was okay. I, he was like. I'm sorry, I dropped it in the bath. I hope you're listening, dude. Um, he was like, I'm sorry, I dropped a book in the bath. I can pay you back. I was like, that's right, dude, because we were so poor at the time. <laughs> so now I have this lovely, slightly mildewy. And has it expanded? <laughs> uh, yeah, for sure. But I mean, honestly, a lot of my books look like this anyway, because I'm a yeah. slob. Um, so this book, it's it's a classic. It's um, It was published in, I think, 1992. Um, Alfred Knopf was the publisher and um, so a lot of people will have heard of Donna Tartt's more recent novel The Goldfinch which was a huge success in my opinion The Goldfish is Goldfish Goldfinch is nowhere near as good as The Secret History The Secret History fucking knocks it out of the park fuck off Goldfinch don't care Um, because The Goldfinch is flabby in the middle and this book even though it is quite long it's over 600 pages. It is fucking go, go, go all the way through. Like, right from the very first sentence, which I'm going to read to you guys. Oh, yeah. She always has such good opening lines or opening passages. Um, so this is a famous open line. Um, so it goes. The snow in the mountains was melting, and Bunny had be de- been dead for several weeks before we came to understand the gravity of our situation. And so Bunny is a person, just to be totally clear. (laughs) Right in there. Exactly. So this book, um, I'll I'll try and briefly describe the plot before I go off on a tangent, which is that um, you've got your uh, narrator is Richard Papin? Papin? I don't know. He comes from Plano, California, which is a very kind of, he describes it as a really uninspiring, flat, concrete, suburban landscape. And he... Is he's a young he's a young guy. He's going off to university. He has this yearning for romance and you know the the university experience. So he goes to Hampton University in Vermont, which is this very kind of you know it's in the, it's in the snowy mountains and it's you know a gorgeous campus, a small as they call it liberal arts college. And apparently this was based on um, Donna Tartt's actual university experience in the 80s, which makes sense because everyone, all the characters there are dressed in like drapey black cashmere with, I assume, bat wings. And, you know, they, they, they are essentially, not, if not literally, then metaphorically dancing to the cure at all times. <laughs> um, it's very goth is what I'm saying. This book is extremely goth. And so... Richard gets this university, he wants to study classics, which you think would be easy, but actually in my experience it isn't either, because the classics department at Auckland University pretty much closed down while I was there. Sorry, still angry about that. Um, so he tries to study classics, and he, they won't let him in, and it's this like kind of clicky little, little kind of classroom that's run by Professor Julian Morrow. He's very glam, 
and the students who take classics, there's how many is it? There's like four or five of them. They're all really glam. You've got these fraternal twins who are like really gorgeous. You've got um, Francis, who's the one who's the most bat-winging of all and constantly wearing, <laughs> constantly wearing long black coats and storming around campus smoking cigarettes. Skulking. Yes, skulking. And you've got Henry, who's the kind of, um, I don't know, like all-American sort of academia dude. And then you've got Bunny, who's kind of a dick. Um, he's he's um, kind of bigoted. He's kind of annoying. Everyone kind of dislikes him, but they tolerate him. Anyway, our hero Richard manages, manages to insinuate himself eventually into this group, and he feels like he's just made it. He's, like, so excited. Um, but then, obviously, um, as you will have heard from that first sentence, um, Bunny gets killed, and... <laughs> The rest of the novel is sort of spent trying to hide the really bizarre circumstances that led to Bunny's murder. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of somewhat the plot. I'm trying not to give too much away. It starts, it's, they call it a, an inverted detective novel because it starts with the murder, it starts with an admission of murder, and then the rest of the book is kind of spent laying out what actually went down. Um, this book is responsible for, I think, a lot of broken hearts of people who have gone to university hoping for an exciting time, just like Richard was, and um, they probably would have been okay with murder as, as a trade-off. I know I would have, um, but instead, you know, you get, like, fucking Auckland, of Univers Auckland University, like, shitty, like, modern, brutalist classrooms, and no one's at all enthused about classics, and... <laughs> I actually took classics, um, and I must have been because of this book, because I don't know what the fuck I was thinking. Um, I mean, it has served me well, obviously. Um, yeah, so I would say um, this book, it's great when, if you read it when you're young and you kind of get to imagine what how exciting adult life what will be. And then it's great to read it as an adult and realize and, and kind of like see it from a different perspective of, of the naivety of, of Richard. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's just an enduring classic. I just absolutely love this book and not many books that I loved when I was a young adult have really stood up to the test of time and none of them are really my favorites now, but this one, this one remains up there in the pantheon. So, um, so yeah, <laughs> that is probably That's a pretty special, special book, eh? Oh, a hundred percent. Like, yeah. and it's just... It's just a perfect book to me. Like every page is exciting. Every page you want to keep yeah. reading, um, and that and that stands up to rereading. So, pretty cool. How many times have you? How many times have you um, read it? Oh, it must be more than ten times. I would say. Wow, that's a lot. I mean, and most of them happened when I was a young adult. You know, because you have time for that kind of shit when you're not yeah. working for your living and so on. <laughs> Cooking your food. <laughs> I know, right? God, am I sick of cooking food. <laughs> That's great. Do you remember, I remember um, when I first saw a, a photo of Donna Tartt, I was like, oh my gosh, like just such a singular, striking, kind of staunch looking woman with an amazing bob haircut. And She's got a Karen Das bob, actually, come to think of it. <laughs> And an assured sense of style. But remember, like, she was such close friends with Brett Easton Alice, who around that time I really loved 
I loved him and you know when he still had some kind of currency going but I remember there were all these like dumb rumors oh Brett Easton Ellis wrote that novel for her she's dedicated it to him right yeah yeah um they were the literary brat pack of the early 90s how cool is that I mean honestly it's goals and the photo that I'm thinking of Donna Tartt she's wearing leopard print and that kind of there's that there's that part of that book that always just will stay with me of when everyone goes away for the summer and Richard stays behind in that cold room is it summer or no it must be winter yes and he nearly dies of hypothermia and pneumonia (laughs) um because he because he's working class and he's got a scholarship and all of his his new mates are like super wealthy and they're all going off to Rome and stuff and yeah, it's 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 a, yeah. There's a lot of great stuff about class in this novel too. It's just it's it's got it all. And I feel like I heard recently that there's going to be like a, a mini series filmed of it. I'm surprised okay. there hasn't already. But hasn't she? I thought she'd banned it from being reproduced or. So she should. No one can. I just don't trust anyone. I think they've tried to make a film of it before, and it just like it just didn't happen. They just couldn't do it because it's just it's it's. Nothing that they could film could come anywhere close to the images that we have in our heads of these characters. They're so vivid. Did you guys watch The Goldfinch? Yeah, I thought it looked terrible. Well, even the book's not that great, as I've already said. (laughs) I loved loved The Goldfinch. Yeah, I liked it too. I I like her, I mean, I like big meaty sagas like that, you know, and there's like three distinct parts. Yeah super long and in depth (laughs) and I also really loved um her second book that no one really talks about the little friend and I I remember I first that I first kind of heard about that book because my friend Kent said hey I'm reading this book at the moment and um the character really reminds me of you and he read me the first line of the book and it was something like What's the first line of the little friend? It's really droll. I've got it on cracker. my bookcase. Do you want me to go grab it? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll be it. back. I'm disturbing <laughs> the cat on my lap, but I'll do it for you. Hold on a <laughs> for Eleanor. But it was such a crack up first line, and that was my kind of taste um, of getting into Donna Tart. I like that book too. I actually haven't finished The Little Friend, which is crazy. I do like it, but actually, yeah, now you're reminding me I need to pinch it from my parents the next time I'm visiting yeah. them. And finally finished that book. But just, and what does she do? She takes like, what, 10, 12 years to write a book or something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. What an enigma. I mean, it shows because she, yeah. you know, she knows what she's, she's not fucking around. Um, she puts the work in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my God. Come back, oh, Jenna. Oh, where's Jenna? <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Maybe we shouldn't have sent her away. <laughs> Oh, here she is. She doesn't have a book, though. I must have lent it to someone. I don't have one. <laughs> That's oh, okay. Oh, I just, I need to, I can't believe I forgot what that first line is. We'll write it in the show notes. Something about a mother, like a mother blaming herself for the death of her son or something. Just something really harsh. <laughs> um, anyway, that concludes my review. <laughs> Wow, that's made me really want to read it again. Yeah. That's the aim. I want people to get excited about rereading something that they maybe have on their bookshelf. Hmm. Thanks, Lou. Great review. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Gina. Um, so 
this was on my to read pile uh, last last pod, and I have to apologize for my terrible pronunciation of Ripiro Beach last time because I didn't realize it was a Maori word, so I was like Ripiro Beach. Um, <laughs> I didn't know where that was at the time, but I've since found out that it's Bailey's Beach. But this is a book by Carolyn Barron. She is a New Zealand author and she is a Papercuts listener. And um, this is published by Bateman Books. It just came out last week. This week. Yeah, it does. In the last few weeks. Very recently. And she was also on the Auckland Writers Festival um, session last Sunday. So um, this is a memoir. And just to set it up is Carolyn's father died on her 20th birthday. and But most of the book is set a lot later on. Um, but a lot of things happened to her um, in, in a series of a few years. Um, she almost dies giving birth. And she has a back operation, and which I imagine is very awful. And has um, a close friend that dies. And so it just kind of can packs into this, like, really, um, this, like, kind of lashing out at her kids and being really depressed and just, like, angry and, and not being able to shake this this feeling. And also this feeling that she's going to die soon. And that sort of comes back to her dad dying really suddenly as well. Um, and her dad was adopted and she starts researching her dad's um, birth parents. And what she finds out is that his birth mother committed suicide and then his birth father was Māori and he died in Mount Eden prison. So it's like, whoa, I've got... Is this why I feel the way that I am, like what's, you know, it's just kind of like soaking up all this information of traumatic family history and wondering how much of that infiltrates through you, through your whakapapa and bloodlines. And and so she starts going to therapy to kind of like work through all of this. So what she, um, I guess it's a book about place, it's a book about whakapapa, and it's a book about the self. And I found what I found really interesting is her um her research into trauma and also inherited trauma can physical pain come from traumatic experiences and not just from yourself but also from your family um and this book to be honest hit me quite personally I was like a third or halfway through and then I was like oh my god this is beep like a person in my life it was like reading <laughs> their story. Um, so many similar things. And I was like, trying, it made me really understand this person in my life a bit more and feel a lot more empathy. Um, because I'm, I'm, quite a go, I'm quite a go-getter. Like, yeah, whatever. Just get on with it. But, um, you know, I know that's not the same for everybody. Um, and so, yeah, it just really made me pause on some things. Um, that have happened to my family and like really think about it and so I think a lot of um, people would probably feel those familiar lines within those those books this book and um, yeah a lot of people will call this book really brave and it just it seems like kind of like a standard word and it's on the cover Dame Fiona Kidman says it but it really is and she admits so much about herself that is so common with a lot of people but is unsaid like she, what she writes, I would never tell it. I wouldn't tell anyone that, and I just think that's just amazing. She's so aware of her 
privilege and she kind of admits things that paint her in an unflattering light yeah totally like and just like really you know like looking at your domestic life and how you interact with people and how you interact with your children I think that can be you, you know there's a lot of mothers that really kind of like look assessing themselves and like putting themselves against other people but they're all struggling at home and like you know not having the patience for children which you know that's super hard I reckon and um and yeah the back to her privilege I think she talked she's so self-aware of that she she has a comfortable life but she still feels this heaviness on her shoulders and I think that is her right to be able to explore that within herself um you can tell she's a huge reader um she's got quotes from so many amazing authors on at the start of every chapter um Maggie O'Farrell your favorite Olivia Lang Daphne du Maurier Ashley Young like it's so she's a sponge she's soaking up everything around her and I think trying to work through what this has happened so I'm actually quite excited for her because I think now that this book is out and that that weight you know nothing's just like suddenly perfect but having that weight off your shoulders and you can tell she's a writer and writing all the time it's like gosh what can she do next because she was writing something trying to write something else and then this book kept coming to the forefront so I just thought it, yeah, for me it was like quite personal, I felt quite personal um, and especially exploring like um, Māori heritage and maybe like exploring that when you don't feel like quite part of that anyway because of the colour of your skin and but then that's yours as well and that feeling of place and your ancestry and yeah it was, um, yeah I really enjoyed it, I'd really, I'd really recommend it. Who would you recommend it to? Because it's a memoir. Um, would you recommend it to anyone? Or? Um, gosh, I would just... You know how there's this, those people that are always looking... Oh, I'm just trying to think of the best way to say this. Um, I just think if you're looking at... If you're, if you're looking inward, and maybe if you're feeling not quite right I'm kind of like you know you're just feeling not like in the right place or right path it's sort of like I think this book can just make you feel like everyone kind of feels that way at some point you know yeah so maybe that kind of reader yeah it's super like it's super easy to read it's um you'd just read it in a few days I reckon kind of maybe for readers who liked say the glass castle by Jeanette Walls. Oh, I tell you what, I've never read The Glass Castle and I really want to read that. Bloody good, I'll lend you oh, my copy. Oh, thanks. It's just, yeah, my, I have a very good friend um, who loves that book so much and I think, I would like, I keep thinking, oh, I'd love to read that. I need a quarantine to read it. It's bloody good, yeah. It's kind of in that, yeah, that, that whole sort of personal memoir, you know, like Mary Carr, The Liars Club, that whole sort of canon kind of sounds like it might fit in there. This, this book you're talking about? Yeah. Um, so anyone who loves kind of narrative non-fiction memoir? Yeah, totally. Oh. And just reading about someone else's life. It's like so it's really interesting as a reader to get into when someone's that honest to just read what they're, they're saying and, and maybe finding it, something that's familiar to you or not familiar to you, but it's like a super strong insight into the way that someone, the personal way that someone thinks. Mm. Mm. That honesty is crucial, eh? Because otherwise it's just boring if they're trying to yeah. present some kind of facade. 
Totally. Think of all the books that could be written that um, people are just waiting for certain people to die before they, <laughs> before yeah. they write them. <laughs> and the reader, the reader can sort of sense that, can't they? That kind of restraint. And you just have to really go for gold, can't, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. God. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I can't write a book. I've got nothing nice to say. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. I'm yeah. abiding by to, that principle. You need to write an anonymous blog, but then people just totally know it's you right away. <laughs> well, we wanted this podcast to be gossipy, but that, yeah. unfortunately it's a public forum. And <laughs> Great review, Jenna. Thank you. Oh, yeah, thanks, Jenna. That sounds awesome. Cool. Yeah, it does. Thanks, guys. Okay, so we've got not books now. Um, should I go first? Go on. Sure, another surprise. Yeah, I completely <laughs> forgot to fill the thing in. So that's how busy I am. Um, so my not books um, is um, Los Angeles is Burning, parts one and two, which is by um, Anna Rankin. It's a two stunning um, two-part long-form essay written by Anna Rankin, published on Newsroom, which we'll um, link to it. I wanted to draw attention to this really stunning um, couple of pieces of writing because it's just, it just was such a breath of fresh air to read. Anna is a New Zealand writer based in Los Angeles and she's written a brilliant first-hand account of two, in two long-form essays about what it's like to be on the ground during the COVID-19 lockdown in LA where she currently lives and I think one thing I really love about these pieces. Have you guys read them yet? Uh, I knew I knew you would re- review this, and so I read the. Um, <laughs> I read the. No. <laughs> just psychic, but I, um, I. So I read the first one just before we started the podcast. Oh, yeah, great. Um, the second one is. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. That's up, and I, I actually like the second one. I think I liked it even more than the first one. But I think one thing I love about these pieces is just this really strong, sharp, observational eye that she has. And I think some of the beauty of that comes from when you're an outsider or you're not from somewhere, you sort of view it from a different angle and you really see things, which I think is really apparent in this writing. Um, It's just a really great slice of life reportage of kind of daily life in lockdown and the sheer horror, desperation and utter bleakness over there that I guess we're sort of a little bit removed from in New Zealand. And I really recommend reading these essays. Um, She's sort of meeting people and talking to them and kind of getting their backstories. And some of them are grim, but I think she's got such a good observational eye and is so eloquent as a writer. And when you read these pieces, you'll know what I mean. they're really evocative and I think what she does really well is capture that really weird um, very specific vibe of LA Um, and you know it actually reminded me a bit um, of the atmosphere of Brett Easton Alice at his best Um, how she writes about that really specific light in LA even and the architecture and um, the brutality of it and I kept thinking of that Brett Easton Alice line people are afraid to merge um, from less than zero, you know, back in better days where <laughs> good old Brett had some, you know, um, diagnostic currency. But I just <laughs> you're out of Brett killer today. <laughs> well, I just want people to know where I stand. Yeah, on him. Um, yeah you don't want people to think <laughs> that you like him now. 
<laughs> I know, but American Psycho, I've read 13 times, and that is one of my most reread books and just thinking of you talking about the secret history yeah sort of thinking oh gosh it all comes back to bloody Brett because that was a book I reread all the time back when we had time to do that but anyway I love these pieces they're really kind of bleak and kind of haunted and beautifully observed and written and yeah I think they're pretty amazing really I was really impressed and maybe want to read um, more by Anna I mean I know she's such a talented writer and and I used to work with Anna, so I know her. I know the way she, she was that bookseller that would be in the corner, like staring intensely at someone as they have this conversation, wow. like that. You know, she would, and you could never pick like really her engaged. Yes, yeah, super engaged. And when she talks to you, you know, she's she's really she's really listening to you as you speak. So you can t- you know imagine the people that are in like in LA, and you can just see her latching onto that and soaking all of mm. that up for sure you really she just really gets that sense across so well and she even says in the first piece you know um i'm a writer i like talking to people and it is it's how you gather insight and you gather stories and it's how you understand the world around you and the people in it and that kind of awareness of not only your environment but the people in it and how you relate to those people and that's something that I'm always kind of hungry for I really like that Mm. cool I can't wait to read the second part oh it's great good on newsroom for um, publishing them eh that's really cool yeah yeah totally commissioning that we like to see yes okay my turn Mm mm-hmm um, so I'm just going to talk, I don't think I've done this on Paper Cuts before, oh I hope not, um, I don't think so, because it's kind of cheesy and I feel kind of embarrassed. <laughs> um, it's The Good Place on Netflix with, um, oh my god, I haven't done any of the... The Blonde Lady. Kristen Bell, yeah. Um, so The Good Place, it is a, I guess it's a sitcom, it has a lot of kind of philosophical underpinnings because it's based around you know, what happens when you die. So the main characters are all dead and they wake up in heaven and heaven kind of sucks. And they spend the rest of the time trying to kind of like figure out, you know, what should heaven be like? And, you know, what does it mean to be in heaven? What does it mean to be in hell? How can there be a universal heaven or a universal hell? I mean, a universal hell is actually pretty easy. They just, they talk a lot about torturing people on the good place, you know, very inventively. Um, (laughs) It's very kind of fast-paced, classic sitcom, you know, you know lots of really quick-fire jokes. Um, I think Kristen Bell is really, really great in it, um, but I also kind of, her character is kind of this, like, kind of sparky jerk kind of person, and honestly, kind of, I kind of related. <laughs> <laughs> like, she's the worst person ever. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, just, yeah. Lots of braggadocio. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I've just I've just finished watching the entire series. Um, I do recommend it as some light viewing. You know, I, mm-hmm. I'm I certainly don't feel like watching any heavy dramas at the moment. So yeah, it's good. To, <laughs> it, it's you know, it's all the colours are very bright and saturated. It's got a very kind of poppy aesthetic. Um, I actually think it's really great. Um, and then my other really quick little recommendation that's been getting me through this lockdown and keeping my keeping my chin up is the Facebook page 
called The Wondrous Adventures of Mittens, who is the Wellington celebrity cat. Um, at first, I kind of like was like sort of like, oh, this is fine, I guess. And then I was like, oh my god, there's an update on Mittens' page. And Mittens is so cute. Have you guys seen Mittens in real life? God, no. no. I, so, I was looking out for Mittens when I was in Wellington last. I could Actively only dream looking. of being so blessed. Because you see him just like, all these photos of him, he really goes far and wide around central Wellington. You see him like in a strip club and then you see him, like, honestly, in the club. And you see him like at a building site, like within hours, he's like across town. Taking in some art at Te Papa. <laughs> like, he's this beautiful, large, ginger tabby cat, quite fluffy, and just just loves kind of giving cuddles all over town. And it, yeah, I just think it's it's a real kind of ray of sunshine in these troubling times. And yeah, so I, I, I can only hope that the Mittens blesses me with his presence when I next go down to Wellington. It would be so good. It's kind of like how in um, 10 years ago you would wander around waiting for like a street photographer to photograph your outfit. Now you just like wander around <laughs> hoping to see mittens. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> Can I just like, I just feel like I really need to acknowledge someone else though. Um, mittens, yep, absolutely um, wonderful. But come on, the first cat of Wellington is Lola, the Aro Park cat and I feel a bit like gutted for Lola that you know she she's the first cat of Wellington and nobody is paying attention to her and she's this really special um beautiful little cat that used to hang out at um Arrow Park she's still there and she used to escort me through um when I was walking home at night after going to a gig and everybody knew Lola the RO Park cat. She's got her own Facebook page. So many cute photos. Go check her out. And she got attacked by a dog and now she has three legs. Oh, so does oh she I'm looking at a photo does of she her. Have a hu- does she have a human owner? Yeah, apparently she does. Like Nobody knew who her owner was, but you just... Everybody knew Lola. She's always in the park. And at first I kind of thought, oh, but you guys know how cat crazy I am. But I was like, oh, she's like too friendly. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes it's a bit sassy when they're like so full on. I just, she's so cute. She's this tiny little tabby and she must be, I think she's sort of getting on a bit now. But I just think we need to acknowledge her as well. Mittens, you know, might be a, a flashy, fluffy, foofy, tradi- traditionally handsome um, bow, but Lola is the underdog, and I, yeah. Okay, well, I promise to check Lola out, <laughs> but my enthusiasm for Mittens will remain undimmed. <laughs> tell you that. Man, it was really hard not petting animals during um, lockdown walks. Oh, I know, or the cat. They were just yeah. like flinging themselves across the pavement, eh? Like, like you'd be dogs, walking down the street me, but... and the cats would just be like lying across your path looking for a belly rub. Like, <laughs> that's how it felt. Yeah, de- they're just wondering what the hell is going on. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, those were my not books. Thanks, Lou. Cool. Um, I've just got a couple. I've. I don't know if that's too many people talk about it already, but have you guys watched The Last Dance on Netflix? It's like the Michael Jordan documentary, docu-series. It's so good. 
Talking about it. That it's real nineties nostalgia, eh? Uh yeah, I mean even in little old Dunedin, MBA was huge in nineties. You know, the nineties, like you had your basketball cards and those colours <laughs> and the singlets and stuff. Was, so all of that's so nostalgic for me. The music's really great. You've got like um I can't relate to any of this. No, yeah. neither. Um, it all, well, it all passed me by. I knew that it was uh, happening, but... I just hung out with, especially, like, all... I was an only... I grew up an only child, but um, all my cousins were boys, so it was all the, yeah, lots of trading, BMXing, and then, like, talking yeah. about basketball, even though not really even knowing, probably never watching a game, but just looking at still images of basketballers. Yeah, um, well, not everyone had Sky. Fuck. I definitely did not have Sky, but um, yeah, it's just the music is so good, like Coolio, Mace, the Beastie Boys. It's kind of like, yeah, it's but it's quite dark. And I, I was been, oh, I've been listening to because I'm so obsessed with Chris Parker post felting um, the hit during the COVID lockdown, which we talked about last time. I've started listening to his podcast called The Male Gaze, and he was he talked about the last dance in such a good way. He said that. They'll talk about, like, Dennis Rodman, great basketball player, not as good as Michael Jordan. Um, Scotty Pippen, great basketballer, not as good as Michael Jordan. That's how every episode goes through. <laughs> Just, um, and, but apparently it gets quite dark. So that's been, that's been really good. And then do you guys know um, That's What I Reckon on YouTube? It's another no. lockdown. No. Um, he's what like that? He's like this millennial YouTuber, and he had quite in my humble opinion, quite lame stuff. But then I found um, during lockdown, he found when he went to the supermarket that uh, people were buying, all the packet food was gone and then all the fresh food was there. So he does these four minute how to cook something, fuck packet food cooking style shows. But it's got lots of swearing. He's got long hair and lots of tattoos and he's very, very funny. He calls the... um, Ah, oh, what do people call microwaves? The Tucker fucker, or what, like he just says all this like real like quite bogany um, stuff, it. and um, he's a very good chef, and yeah, and he bolognese mac and cheese um, risotto, and he's very like okay, so just cook it until it's cooked. That's his style of um, doing it, but telling you how easy it is. That's what I reckon. Very funny. Um, he must be like 22 or something, but he's getting lots of views post-lockdown. Um, Great. Yeah. I'm going to check it out. Tucker fucker. Tucker fucker. <laughs> I've been cooking so much mac and cheese recently, just like en- so good. endless cheesy, bland, like, seascapes <laughs> of macaroni just, cheese. Like, white. Fully white. Fully white. <laughs> like, onion, the whole thing. Yeah. His his mac and cheese looks so good. I usually do Annabelle Langbine with the cauliflower in it, but his one looks... Hey, I saw that face, Louisa. <laughs> no, it's yum. The mac and cheese with fucking cauliflower. It's... Karen's at work. And Karen, when you go talk to Manon after you finish recording that, she, she told me it was the best mac and cheese she'd ever had. Oh, I'm going to have to sample this. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, um, good comfort food, eh? That and cheese rolls. Oh, yeah. yeah. I made some of those over lockdown. For sure.
Okay, let's get back on track. (laughs) Thank you. So I guess we're on to our TBRs, are we? Yeah, for sure. Can't wait to hear yours, Karen, as you didn't fill in the form. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's all a mystery. Um, Well, I'm still kind of, well, I I just finished reading Utopia Avenue. That was on my TBR pile and I actually followed through um, 560-odd pages of the damn thing. Um, That's coming out, I think, late June. So anyway, I've just finished that. I can talk about it another time. But on my TBR is Handiwork by Sarah Baum. This is published by Tramp Press. And Sinead Gleeson um, recommended this last year. And I think she wrote a long-form review of it on maybe the White Review. And she reckoned I'd really like that book. And um, I really like Tramp Press, so I ordered a copy of that. So I've got that to read. And another book I've got to read is The Discomfort of Evening by Marike Lucas Rijneveld. And um, that's a Dutch writer and that's on the Booker International Prize shortlist. So I've just started reading that. I've read about a chapter and I really like the style so far. Um, I think that's, that's it for now. Cool. Yeah. How about you guys? Um, well, I have reached the end of my library panic <laughs> borrowing. Um, so these are actually, I've actually finished all of these books. Um, but So I'll give you some really quick opinions, some hot takes as I go down the line. Um, first was Iceland by Dominic Hoey. Um, terrific. Read it in, a, in one ra- rainy Sunday. It was really great. Um, it's a novel about gentrification in Auckland and you know, what it was like for people who grew up in, you know, Ponsonby Graylin before it was gentrified and then kind of uh, remained hanging on, you know, by a thread after the gentrification. So really recommend that. Um, this Sweet Sickness by Patricia Highsmith. I mean, it's a Patricia Highsmith novel. Like, if you know, you know. Very dark, very gothic, very fucking scary. Um, it's about a man who stalks this lady that he thought was going to be his girlfriend, but... You know, she's not into him. Anyway, it's great. Um, Supper Club by Lara Williams and Friendship by Emily Gould. These are both kind of young woman coming of age novels. Um, Emily Gould was kind of like part of that sort of, she's kind of like a Lena Dunhamish figure, I guess, like that New York white lady. Like, <laughs> um, but um, those are those were both enjoyable. But um, I read the Supper Club. I read that. What did, yeah, what did you think of it? I liked it, but I thought there were... It's pretty, um, it's an easy one to kind of recommend to people. Yeah. Um, it's, it's got, I mean, it's interesting because the women who are obviously intelligent and they're into the arts and they're into stuff, but ultimately it's pretty lightweight and... Yeah, and I, I think mean, there's a, there's, this, there. there's this weird kind of like, oh, like it's a project to like eat a lot and that's a way of taking up space, but like taking up space is like not explained. It's kind of, it's kind of, it's a weird premise. Um, yeah. For sure. But yeah, that's my TBR slash already read pile. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been back to the library post now that it's opened? No, mine's not open yet. They open on Tuesday and, um, I have reserved during lockdown approximately 30 books. So I think I'm in a world of trouble. I've reserved one. 
Uh, I reserved six, but in tour in transit, picked up one today. But oh god, back into the stressful cycle of library yeah. reserves. <laughs> I actually picked up two. I've reserved the ones that are in transit or two that you have both have reviewed or talked about. I've um, animals by Emma Jane Unsworth mm. and um, How Should a Person Be by Sheila Hetty. They are on the way ah. to me. Yeah, cool. Um, I'm halfway to, through two New Zealand books, um, Fake Baby by Amy McDade, which comes out, Louisa? Oh, God. <laughs> Next week. She's on yeah, the Auckland so. Writers Festival um, programme this Sunday. Yeah, so I'm really looking forward to watching that. Yeah, the publication was delayed on that one because of um, COVID-19, so it's very exciting. That I think, yeah, it's out, it's out in June. Um, I'm really enjoying it so far. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I think it's really great. I can't wait to talk about it. Maybe next time. Oh. And um, Pearly Gates by Owen Marshall. I've started reading that as a Otago, hearty Otago bred person. I'm really yeah. enjoying I, I mean, it. It really has a... <laughs> it really does have a sense of place, eh, that novel, Jenna. Definitely, which I which I I really like. I'm, it, it does. It's not name day, but I'm thinking like no. Alexandra or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then also, um, do you, did we review? Or we've definitely talked about the new Me by Halle Butler. Yeah, I think I reviewed that one. I think, yeah, didn't we've well, all read it? I reviewed it. So um, I I reviewed it. Oh no, I reviewed it on BFM. Yeah, ah, I'm, cool. Sure yeah. I reviewed it on the podcast, but I'm not 100 percent sure. That book is really cracker. So um, it's crack up, eh? Okay, so she wrote this book beforehand called Jillian, and it's about like a coworker. Um, oh my god, I my, already my, love it. <laughs> my friend Lucy. Um, told me about it she said she loved it so much but it was like totally almost out of print when my mum was in America I got a local bookstore third place books to send the last copy they had to my mum where she was staying and I got it back but actually now it's come bloody coming out in July they've done a reissue um of it though warning <laughs> like fuck I know I bring this up oh. all the time but the new cover has a fucking dog you on don't. the front of it and <laughs> she gets a, she takes she like gets a dog when she shouldn't you know she's in this place and I was just like oh my fucking god anyway I'm looking forward to it coming out though again. Jenna you need to like run the literary equivalent of the SPCA and like report these authors <laughs> for mistreatment of fictional animals I must say I had one query about my um my dog spreadsheet and I shared it with them so they could um Oh, <laughs> it's getting some uptake. <laughs> yeah, um, but no, now I'm actually excited about that because I haven't read Gillian yet, and it's just been sitting there because I'm like, well, I can read it, but then I have no one to recommend it to, or because it's not, not not in print, so it felt like a bit of a waste. But now, now you do. Now it's coming back, so that's cool. Yes, yay! I'm keen. I loved the new me. Yeah, it was great. That was cracker. <laughs> <laughs> I still think about that character in her little Tupperware containers of almonds. Is is the character named Karen? I feel like she is. Probably, probably. <laughs> if she's not, then she still is. Yeah. Is that us? It's us. I that think we're just hitting on just an hour, guys. Well done. 
gosh, well done, us, keeping it so eloquent and succinct. <laughs> um, thank you so much to Tina at the spin off for tolerating us. Don't forget to subscribe and rate us and mention that, you know, when, when people rate us, it makes a huge difference and people can find us apparently. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and email. You know where to find us. We're kind of everywhere and you can't avoid us. <laughs> Bye for now. Kakite. Bye bye. Kia ora e te iwi, te Aihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.